0: Welcome to Saving the Game. This is Episode 24, Wrath, Part 7 of our Virtues and Vices series, recorded Thursday, August 22nd, with your hosts, Grant, Peter, Brandon, and Mike. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Grant. I'm Peter. I'm Brandon. And I'm Mike.
1: Not perpetually last! Woohoo!
0: Yes. <laughs> so we've got a, a new host joining us. This is Mike. Mike, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Hello, I'm Mike. The end. <laughs> Good job!
0: So now that that's out of the way, but no, seriously, uh, Mike, uh, mind taker on the Fear the Boot forums and a lot of other places,
2: too many including probably. an old spice commercial yes i was about to bring that up <laughs> <laughs> please link that in the show notes <laughs> okay we'll do that
1: <laughs> so well, well the one thing i would like to know what is your uh religious background what brought you into gaming things like that just so
2: there we go the audience that's knows. good yeah yes yeah, so i represent the southern baptist area of christianity And I'll go ahead and represent all of the people from the, quote, rock and roll church, as mentioned in an earlier episode. (laughs) (laughs) Already? I go to a very large church. Uh, The particular church has about 7,000 people every Sunday. That's large. At six different campuses.
3: That's about the same size as my whole town. (laughs) Not exaggerating.
2: The campus I go to um, only has about 200 or about maybe 300. Uh, So very different styles, I guess, depending on which campus you go to. Uh, in any case, my background in gaming. Um, unfortunately, I was introduced to gaming with riffs, but uh, mm. I moved on from there. Well, I mean, you got over. Yes, it. <laughs> yes, I did.
0: <laughs> uh,
2: and I stuck with the hobby. So there you go. I mean, that must say something, right?
0: Yeah, and it says, "Oh man, it's all better than riffs." <laughs>
3: <laughs> it also says, "Mike is tough as nails." He didn't run screaming from role playing his first
1: game. But I like space hippos. What are you guys saying And
2: giant space hamsters? Talking about
3: Spelljammer, which is infinitely better than
2: Rips. (laughs) You're missing Glitter Boys and that weird weird guy with the thing coming out of his face. Scion guy who's just like, I don't know what that is, but anyway. Oh, the Mind Melter? Yes, Mind Melter, thank you.
3: You know, it's really sad that I actually have that bit of knowledge dedicated to (laughs) long-term memory.
2: (laughs) My
1: misquoting of the Riffs joke was actually a clever ploy to get Peter to out himself as someone who knows about Riffs. (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Uh, Very meta.
3: You know, it's really sad. I know who the Kardashians are, too, and I'll never get that synaptic real estate back
2: either. (laughs)
1: Those are those lizard people, right?
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. No, that's not Let, the let's worst description he said no.
0: I've ever heard of <laughs> them yeah. we'll, we'll pretend he said Cardassians and move on yeah. um.
1: <laughs> uh, no, I, I gotta say I love the image like, on the internet it's like a picture of Kim Kardashian next to a Cardassian and it's like one of these people is an evil lizard person and the other is from Star Trek
0: yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there we go alright so, Mike, we're very happy to have you. Welcome to the show. Happy to be mm-hmm. here, guys.
1: Yes. And Good. F- fitting our theme, he is yet another bearded white guy. So now we're <laughs> up to four bearded bespectacled white guys.
3: Unfortunately, That's we are true. not up to four bearded white guys from the same time zone. I'm still in Central, and all of my co-hosts
0: are in Eastern, so... Mm-hmm. <sighs> I keep telling you to move.
3: <laughs> Everybody
0: keeps telling me to move. Yeah, I want to get you here, Mumbles here. Just I, I've got land. I could just build a commune. <laughs>
3: The, you could even call it the Woodward Estates, which would actually sound kind of like upscale. Right, yeah, I like that. I know.
0: I need, now I need a monocle.
2: <laughs> Just <laughs> cut your glasses in half and it will be good.
0: Yeah, all right. One other quick uh, note before we actually get going on this. If you've found this and wondered where our iTunes listing went when our feed changed, we had to delete our old listing on iTunes and create a new one, so... Go out to savingthegamepodcast.org, find the link to iTunes on there, or just search in iTunes. It's there now, but your
2: old link to it doesn't work anymore.
0: Okay.
1: Well, before we uh, get started, I did want to ask, so Mike, you ran something recently.
2: I did run something recently. So I attended uh, here near, very close by in Raleigh, North Carolina, Fear the Minicon East, as run by everyone's favorite ex Sergeant Sergeant Dan. We got a bunch of, well, a good number of booters together, maybe about a dozen or so. Uh, Certain ones didn't show up. We won't name any names. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Certain <laughs> ones who were
2: signed up for my game didn't show up, but we won't mention any names.
1: <laughs> yeah, me. I'm like I I meant to go. Like when I went to Fear the Con, the person who I brought with me, I gave him four hundred dollars to go with me under the promise that he would pay it back. He still has two hundred dollars to pay back, and he was supposed to get that money to me so I could go to Fear the Con
0: East. <laughs> I did not get that money. Ugh. I'm gonna plead. My daughter had her first birthday. <laughs>
2: And I'm poor. I'll be pleading that in a couple of weeks, too, so I'll give you that. <laughs>
0: yeah, see, there you go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was a good time. Got to get together with some of the uh, some of the booters, and I ran a game based on the Uncharted game series. So that was good. Got to meet some new booters I haven't met before. Got to play in a game with uh, Jeb of Postcards from the Dungeon fame. That was great. Great guy. Yeah, great guy. Yeah,
3: he is.
0: I got to play in a fiasco game with him. Oh,
2: nice, nice.
0: Amazing. It was, it was actually him,
2: Steve, Churcher, and... Very well. So. That brings up an important point, that Churcher did not actually run Traveler, so it was kind of uh, not as good as it could have been.
1: Well, it was only a mini-con. Like,
3: That's
2: true. It
1: wasn't a full-blown con. I mean, if he, if he runs Traveler too much, he'll
0: run out of Traveler.
3: So what he needed to do is just, like, run a Traveler card game for
0: half the slot and then walk away? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or run the new edition of Traveler, which no one wants to play. So there we go. go.
1: Whenever I rerun my Inquisition game, I'm going to call the uh, ship the Running Traveler, so uh, <laughs> it will be the Church's Running Traveler.
0: Nice. That's, that's great. Well played. Well played. All right. Shall we get into this? Yes, let's. Okay. Brandon, you want to take the first bit of scripture we've got? Yes. The first bit of scripture we've got. John
1: 2, 14 through 17. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a market. His disciples remembered it was written, zeal for your house will
0: consume me. And I'll take our bit of Old Testament scripture here, Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I'll take the Ephesians one. Be angry, but do not sin.
3: Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not make room for the devil. Thieves must give up stealing. Rather, let them labor and work honestly with their own hands, so as to have something to share with the needy. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths. But only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with which you are marked with a seal for the day of redemption. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. Ephesians 4:26 through 32
2: And this last bit of scripture is from James one 19 through 19-21 Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls.
0: We're talking tonight about wrath, Uh, it's a continuation of our Virtues and Vices series, and wrath, to define it very simply, is a forceful and vindictive anger which runs counter to reason. It overruns reason. It's an unthinking, blind fury. Anger in and of itself is not a sin. Wrath is. And the distinction is that anger is a passion, it's a motivation, but when controlled by reason... It's simply a motivation. Wrath is when anger consumes you and you stop thinking and are only angry and only guided by that passion. Wrath is a, a mortal sin in part because it leads directly into other sins like violence and murder and blasphemy and hatred, uh, just like the other deadly sins are the root of a multitude of other sins.
2: Yeah, I was just thinking about this too. Um Jesus even equated this with murder. He basically said that you know, everyone says, "Well, at least I haven't murdered anybody." But he changed the definition of that. Instead of you ever thought evil of someone, you have murdered them in your heart.
3: Yeah, when you when you get into that really kind of burning, um, seeing red, you know, blind fury, like you know running through horrible fates for this person in your mind kind of anger, that's wrath.
1: Yeah, when, when you yeah. indulge in the anger and just go with it, you aren't going, no, I'm, I'm trying to keep it down, but you are enjoying yeah. every morsel well, maybe of not hate.
3: Even, maybe not even enjoying it, but um, definitely... Indulging. Yeah, oh, yeah, indulging. I like
0: the word indulging, Yeah, then. that's exactly the right one. Yeah. You ever get cut off in traffic and you just, ah, uh, you're furious? I mean, you don't jump out and, you know, run over and punch the guy. You make the well, news in do. that case. and that, Some people do, <laughs> yeah. but you know most of the time you don't. But that seeing red anger, that's, that's what wrath is.
2: I was going to say um, in a sermon on a Sermon on the Mount, Inception, there was um, a good point pointed out to me, which was that the reason that he equated this with murder is because you're basically wishing they were dead. And so yeah. you are equating it with murder because you really are murdering them in, mm. you know, in a sense
1: or, if not dead, wishing them grievous bodily
2: harm. Right, right. Like, it's like, yeah. I don't want
1: you to die, I just want you to suffer a whole lot
2: and live. <laughs> right, exactly.
3: <laughs> Which is so much better.
2: <laughs> Fate worse than death is all we want, so that's, uh, that's good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, I, I do want to come back real quick to the distinction between wrath and anger, though. If you think about what makes you angry, it's when you perceive that there's a wrong, and you desire to resolve it, or avenge it if it's not something that you can resolve. That's why frustration so often leads to anger. But when that desire for resolution and vengeance is controlled by reason, you get a lot of good things. Uh, Jesus in the temple, overturning the, the tables of money changers, you can tell, especially in John's description, which is why I wanted to use John instead of Matthew or Mark, you can really feel the anger that Jesus had towards this person, Perversion of the temple, you know, turning the temple into a marketplace.
1: There is one thing that I did want to bring up about the whole tr- overturning of the money changers, which is not something that is really hit on in the scripture, is the fact that what was going on was not just them selling in the marketplace. What was going on was a literal scam in the temple, sorry. A, a literal scam in the temple. Uh, people would come into the temple. And the money changers were there because regular currency was not allowed in the temple. So you had to change your money with the money changers. If they, if you gave them a dollar, they would give you, say, 90 cents uh, right. for it. Once you were in the temple even if you didn't buy anything, you had your sacrifice there. They had people who would check your sacrifice to see if it was good, and a lot of times these people would lie and make up things like, oh no, this lamb isn't 100% pure. There's a small tumor right here. This is worthless. We'll take it off your hands for just a few coins. Here's some pre-approved sheep, and then after you go off with your offering, they put your sheep in the pen to be sold to everyone else. Right. Oh, and also once you leave, the money that is useful in the temple is not useful anywhere else, so that 90 cents that you had changed, you have to give back back them, and they give you like 80 cents now.
2: Ah,
0: uh, Yeah. <laughs> now that still continues, because when you travel, if you've ever <laughs> yeah, tried say, to buy Deutschmarks or whatever, you get the same thing. Yeah. But yeah, in the temple, yeah. obviously, that's... Well, yeah.
1: It's a difference between going from country to country, which, okay, that's something that you have to deal with, but this is the temple. This is where people were supposed to worship. Not only that, but there were certain parts in the temple where people could not go past. If you were a Gentile. And you wanted to, like, worship at the temple, you could not go past a certain line in the temple or else you would be killed by people. And all this selling and trading was going on where the Gentiles were supposed to be gathered. And that is the reason for Jesus' anger in here is because they were not only cheating everyone, they were also robbing these people who were seeking God, a chance of a peaceful place to actually seek God, and that is the reason right. he gets so Hulk mad.
3: Well, and they were also desecrating the temple in the process, so it's like... that's kind of a
2: negative.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's
3: a one, two, a bit. three, four punch or
2: something? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, actually, there's a fifth one in there, too. Part of the problem that the Jews of Israel had, at, particularly at that time was a a strong very careful tradition to avoid any depictions of anything that might be like an idol or a god mm-hmm. and since the roman emperors had a tendency to create temples for themselves and have people worship them as a as a god having their face on the coinage kind of brushed up against the whole idolatry thing there were some roman overseers in Israel who actually had to be recalled because they insisted on hanging banners with the emperor's profile on them, and the Jews revolted and rioted every time that was done, and they kept doing it and basically kept provoking riots, and the higher Roman authorities eventually had to recall him because he just kept making a scene about it. So particularly at that time, the Jews, including Jesus, were very sensitive about bringing Mm-hmm. Other images into the temple, yeah.
1: additionally to that this whole scene of the money changers is a uh, book ended on both sides with uh jesus's encounter with a fig tree it's the fig tree that does not bear fruit, and so he curses it and He sees right. it as a um, what's it called a uh symbol of the Jewish people who he's been dealing with who aren't bearing fruit. At the Mm point, and so this is the mindset that there was angry things that was there was frustration that happened before. You can very clearly see that this is a building to anger. However, as you mentioned, Jesus goes about it being very, very logical, or at least that's how it's uh, represented in this passage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's giving reasons as he does it, and really throughout the Old Testament, and we haven't really quoted this because it comes up so much. It's hard to pick one good representative quote. But throughout the Old Testament, you know, there's plenty of talk of the anger of the Lord. It's often described or invoked, and that's not this blind, unreasoning fury. It's a just anger at sin and sinners who have abandoned God for other false gods.
2: I was just going to say, I think, I mean, Jesus gives, you know, example here of how to do wrath right, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, because, you know, he's just... Um... Well, Go ahead.
0: I was going to say, a little lyric of saying wrath in that case, anger Well, right, right,
2: but- <laughs> right. But I mean, it, I guess wrath, in a way, they mention the wrath of God, and God mm. had a version of wrath, which is maybe different from this, the word wrath that we're referring to here, but
0: we, we can't avoid the, the synonym too much, but yeah. We-
1: I totally get what you're saying, Mike, and I actually agree with the sentiment. We're not saying that, well, Jesus used this sin. We're saying that what Jesus did here was a good way to do it.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Grant, you mentioned that uh, frustration is one of the main causes of anger. I would like to bring up that there is a second really big main cause of anger in most people, and that is uh, fear and hate. Prejudice, unfamiliarity, things like that, that is where we see a whole lot of people getting angry is because they're fearful of something, and if they're fearful of something, well then they want to strike out at it before it gets them. There actually is
3: something to the the old tired Star Wars quote that fear leads to mm-hmm. anger. Generally speaking, anger comes out of out of a fear that if I don't do something about whatever, some undesirable result will occur, and I just can't let that happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that, Peter. It's almost like you're trying to provide your own way to justice uh, and not trusting that God's justice might be you know better than whatever version of justice you can deal out. I don't.
0: Quite get the same sense that that's anger. I think maybe. Well, uh,
1: Grant, would you say that a hate crime is a form of wrath? Because I would, I would. I'll take yeah. that bait. Yeah, I would, and that is the reason why i wanted to bring that up is that yeah. a lot of times, like anger and hate, is that is what begets violence and actual what I would consider wrathful behavior because you are doing something because you are afraid of these people, and you hate them because you're afraid of these people.
3: You actually aren't necessarily afraid of those people. You're afraid of what will happen to society if those people get what they want. And I True. think that's kind of the important difference there.
0: Yeah, but there's no wrath involved. There's no blind, uncontrolled anger in that. Certainly, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying any part of that is good, and I'm, I'm not saying it's not a sin. <laughs> Certainly not. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't know that we want to get too much into this because we've got a lot to cover. I don't know. I, I, we can agree to disagree on this one. Yeah, and I think we're going to have to yeah. at this point.
2: Yeah. Well, I think I'm glad we can all agree that hate crimes are bad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. All right. Claiming the moral high ground here. Yeah.
1: The one, the one thing I did want to end that on is the fact that that sort of hate and wrath builds up uh, when you have a whole lot of it around you, when it's reinforced by other people telling you the exact same thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: And if it builds, it can reach, it doesn't immediately start at wrath. Uh, it might only need to start at wrath. Personally, I believe that any kind of hate like that is a form of wrath. But even if it isn't, and if you say it isn't, then that you are welcome to that opinion. But even if it doesn't, I'm sure you can agree that by the time that they're out there dragging the person that they hate and beating them up simply because they hate them, it has become an expression of wrath.
0: It certainly can. I've read accounts where it It hasn't, and those are in some ways more disturbing. It's certainly very possible. There is something else, Brandon, that I think you just about touched on, and maybe we're kind of brushing up against it here. It's that when we talk about wrath, we think of this overpowering rage and dramatic outbursts and this explosive anger. It's not always that, and in some ways it's worse when it's this subtle, seething anger. I'm
1: reminded of the movie Anger Management. You have Adam Sandler, I believe, who is in an anger management class, and from the trailer, it doesn't look like he really needs it, because he's not blowing up like everyone else around him. But the movie very clearly shows that he is a person who keeps his anger bottled and bottled Uh, and bottled. So in fact, he does need it. They they sort of tricked me out on that in the trailer, where I'm like, I thought it was going to be Something else, but I'm like, no, this guy really needs what he's going through. He just doesn't realize it because he's not the guy who blows up. I think Jack Nicholson says, like, uh, there's the guy who is the person screaming at a, um, uh, at the cashier and he's yelling and he's just getting totally things and everyone knows that that guy is angry. But there's another form right. of anger where it's the cashier who sits there and takes it and then he goes home and walks in with a shotgun and starts blowing people away.
0: Yeah. Good Omens. I don't know if you've ever read that book. It's uh, Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman writing one book. It's amazing. You should read it. There's a demon who's one of the main characters. He has figured out, you know, you can spend a lot of time corrupting one soul completely, or you can just make everybody's day a little bit worse. Cause traffic jams, move road cones, that sort of thing. Everybody gets home frustrated and angry and they yell at their wife and everybody gets worse. And in some ways he's one of the most dangerous creatures out there because there's always that lingering anger that's always present. Funny story, real quick, one of the best games I have played was of course at Fear the Con. It was the first Fear the Con five slot. It was Derek Newton's game where we all played Soul Calibur characters in anger management classes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was amazing. It was absolutely amazing. Uh,
1: I remember round one, talk about your problems. That was it, right?
0: <laughs> yes, round one, ready? Talk about your feelings. I played Voldo. Were there course. any secret characters? Uh, no, I don't <laughs> think so. And what you described actually played out really well. And to their credit, everybody did a great job of playing characters who started off denying they had problems with anger. And letting it just play out naturally and just letting more and more get out. and It was a great game. And what's interesting is it almost came out naturally because I think it's something we all struggle with. And so everybody, even people who just weren't familiar with Soul Calibur at all, ended up really getting into the game and making really good, powerful moments out of this because... Being angry is something we all have to deal with and relate to, and we've all felt that. We've all got some of this bottled up.
2: I think that mental image is going to be stuck in my head for quite a long time. Voldo just sitting on the couch and just, you know, pouring out his soul.
1: Well, doesn't Voldo only hiss?
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) I actually facilitated our breakout, but listen, that's okay. (laughs) I really want to steal that uh, concept from Derek and at some point run a... League of Legends version of that, all the League of Legends characters and anger management classes, it would be hilarious. I was going to say, do they really have backstories, but I'm like, wait, it's still a fighting game, never mind. Riot Games is pretty good about creating some backstory and rivalries and that sort of thing. None of it matters, but you know, <laughs> it's there. Is there more we want to talk about the
1: definition of anger, or should we move on to Wrath and role playing games? I, I actually want
3: to touch on one more thing before we go. Okay. A lot of the time, anger, when it's not rooted in fear, it's rooted in frustration. And frustration is we we don't get what we want, or we thought, you know, we deserved this, or we should have it, and we kind of see that as something that needs to be corrected. And that can cause some wrath, too. It's the adult version of the child who doesn't get the ice cream cone throwing a temper tantrum on the floor. And it's not usually quite that messy or loud or unsubtle, but but we do
0: succumb oh, to you it and that's is... just my tantrums then.
3: Okay. Um.
0: <laughs> bonus episode.
3: <laughs> Grant has yes. a tantrum. No,
0: bonus episode. Grant throws a temper tantrum. All right. Carry on. Sorry. And so
3: accepting that you don't always or even usually or frequently get what you want isn't just good Christian morality. It's kind of adulthood one oh one. So this feeds into more than just Christian morality and into just functioning in society. I thought that was worth mentioning, too.
0: It's it's very true. It's something we all have to deal with, and I guess because of that, that temptation is always there to sort of give in to that wrath, especially the more subtle, quiet anger that just builds up and builds up and breaks out into something where you just set aside reason.
3: Yeah, and the thing is, when you sit there and, you know, if you're like, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm going to sit here and quietly hate you forever, that's not necessarily better than chewing no, somebody out
0: not. actually, I think you've brought up a good distinction there. There's two ways to prevent wrath, and they, they kind of depend on what exactly has happened. Um, in the first, there's a legitimate wrong, something that should make you angry, and it may you may be angry to you know some degree.
3: Sure, but I mean, you know, because the, you're, the idea you're that like,
0: staying rational, a
3: huge portion of the African populace doesn't have clean water and they're dying because of it. That's something that should make
0: anybody angry. <laughs> yes, it's infuriating, and that's why we get driven to action. The other situation that you may find yourself in is, you know, when you're getting frustrated, you rationally look at it and say, this is not something I need to be angry about. I may be tempted into anger because I'm frustrated, but when I calm down and look at it, There's really nothing to be angry about. There is no slight. It's just, well, something didn't turn out the way that would be ideal for me.
2: Yeah, there's always a choice, isn't there? There's always a choice you have to make. Mm -hmm.
0: Exactly. I wanted to get that on the table because I think that matters, particularly when we're talking about wrath and anger out of game. But first, let's talk about it in-game.
1: Wrath in-game, the one point I want to bring up is that wrath is probably, I think, personally what I believe, one of the... Deadly Sins that appears the most often in not only role-playing games, but basically all literature and storytelling ever.
0: Yeah. I would be very hard-pressed to argue that point. (laughs) I think
1: anybody would be.
0: (laughs) Except possibly Lust. But it's a close second if if it's not first. Yeah. Lust could be a
1: close second. It it all depends on how it's shown and how it's revealed. Because I'll admit, the romantic story is out there, but the revenge story is... Is probably
3: even more pervasive, yeah. yeah.
1: Although the romantic subplot is even in revenge stories, so... They're, you know, neck and neck. Uh, Yes, however, definitely for role-playing games, it's definitely more than lust because... Oh, yes. A lot of times there are people who are hesitant to put in a romantic interest in a role-playing game. However, they aren't above killing some kobolds.
2: (laughs) Who is it? No.
0: (laughs) You get the guy who has the Batman background. My parents are dead. Everybody I've ever known and loved is dead. I'm going to avenge them all. Or Maybe not uh, Batman, the Punisher kind of thing. Yes, yes. We we had actually,
1: uh, me and Peter actually had a little debate earlier where we were discussing Batman and, like, and it was like, hey,
3: we've got a much better example yeah. of a wrathful super yeah. character. The Punisher. The yeah, Punisher yeah. is like yeah.
0: distilled wrath avatar guy. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I, I am disappointed neither of you brought up the Hulk. Oh, True. Yeah. yeah,
1: wow.
3: Yeah, Good
0: call. <laughs>
1: but the one thing I want to say is that yeah, there are many incarnations where Batman is somewhat wrathful, a little bit. There are plenty of incarnations where he's not. Also, one of the main defining characteristics about Batman is that he doesn't kill. Well, uh,
2: one thing about Batman though, is even though he doesn't kill, breaking knees is not very mm-hmm. non-wrathful.
1: <laughs> true, true. I'm I'm just reminded about Shepard Book's line from Firefly. Yes, yes uh, indeed. God's a little fuzzy on kneecaps. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it. I think Batman's a good example of that seething anger that just kind of
2: leaks out
1: all the time. Possibly. In some incarnations I would agree, in other
0: incarnations right. totally not. Yeah, I mean I mean if we're talking Adam West Batman, of course not. Yeah. If it's um, if we're even
3: talking Kevin Conroy animated series Batman, it's not so yeah. much.
1: Even the Christian Bale, like he didn't really seem to be that upset. He started
0: upset. Yeah, the Christian Bale incarnation, I think he started off that way and got control yeah. of it. Yeah. And I I like that. But the Frank Miller Oh yeah. Batman? <laughs> No, completely different.
1: Peter brought up a great comment. A Frank Miller character has wrath and probably lust. You're right.
0: And actually all the others. But yes,
1: yeah, the one thing I did want to bring up is that uh, classically the depiction of uh, Spider-Man also faced the initial burst of wrath after after his first slothful thing where he did not catch the criminal. The criminal goes and then kills Uncle Ben.
3: The interesting thing about Spider-Man, though, is he breaks away from Wrath really quickly and yeah. generally stays away from yeah. it.
1: Yeah, just like the Christian Bale Batman did, which is why I wanted to yeah. draw the comparison to that. I mean, I think it's a little more because that is always a part of his origin story, as there is that initial hit of Wrath, where sometimes Batman just cries over his parents dying.
0: Brandon, I think you're right that throughout all of the media, <laughs> that especially in geek culture, Everybody tends to consume and kind of have in common. Wrath features very prominently. Yeah. I, I would just say in all of the media. I mean, you look at mo- yeah. uh, movies
1: in general. There's like big, huge fight scenes and revenge stories, and even even like Bridezillas or or, or the Bridesmaids scenes, There's wrath in there. It's well, it's not think the-
3: about. Think of the TV shows that are big right now.
0: I mean, Breaking Bad, Sons of Anarchy. My wife watches a, a bunch of daytime TV because she's home alone with our daughter. And you know, I come in, and you know, she's like, "Oh, I'm not watching that." You know, can, you can change the channel, and I look at it, and it's rich socialites just screaming at each other and throwing yeah. things. Real housewives of yeah, reality TV, god awful someplace, you know. <laughs>
1: The MTV formula, put a bunch of jerks in a house, give them alcohol, watch them fight. then
0: Big Brother or The Real World (laughs) or any of those. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's the, let's put conflicting personalities together Mm -hmm. and hope for a fight. Yes. You're you're absolutely right. It's glorified, and even when it's not glorified, when it's, you know, look at these people fighting Mm -hmm. like idiots – It's something we are expected to be fascinated by. This may
3: just be because I live close to Chicago, but hockey. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the Blackhawks won this year, but I know I'm not a sports fan really, but I know that fighting is a big part of hockey.
1: Well, let's go to video game. Uh, There's two movies that I uh, wanted you guys to watch. I think most of you have seen. One was done by... uh, Extra Credits, which was on uh, non-violent video games, Mm -hmm. and the other was by uh, Mr. B-Tong, who does Tasteful Understated Nerd Rage, and he did an (laughs) episode on L.A. Noir, talking about slowing down violence in video games. And the theme of those uh, two movies, which were really great, and I think we're going to link them in the show notes. Yeah, we
3: really should link those in the show notes. Both of those are excellent. And also, just as a quick aside, the entire Extra Credits series is worth watching, Mm -hmm. if you're into video games at all.
1: Same thing for the entire series of Tasteful Understated Nerd Rage. It's all great. I love watching it. They make a point in in both about exploring ways that video games can get away from violence. Uh, The Tasteful Understated Nerd Rage guy brings out a way that they explored uh, solving a crime as a metric, and extra credits bring out this web game called Echo Bazaar, where they talk about how uh, James invited a friend to dinner. And it was a rewarding experience because he talked about them testing against a skill. And they start, they start, of course, going off into how video games can become more, um, uh, exciting with nonviolence. And I think this is one of the few places that tabletop role playing game has a leg up on other mediums, especially video games, is because we already have that. We have skills and checks and tests and we can write a story where You don't have to tell a violence thing. We can. We we can. One really good
3: example of that would be, and I'm going to totally steal this from Steve from Postcards from the Dungeon because they
0: did an episode
3: about violence recently, and this came up: a
0: political Mm -hmm. campaign. Yep. Now I do want to point out that I think there's a tendency, especially in role-playing games that have most of their rules in combat, to just sort of assume that violence is always the way you should start. Mm-hmm.
2: Right, I was going to say too, you know, even though you have these skill checks for, you know, social skills or whatever you want to call it. If you go in a character who has no combat skills, you're you're in bad shape. I mean, you're going to have a really boring bad session because you're not going to be able to do anything.
0: Well, it depends at some on point. the game. It does depend on the game, but I think there's a reason yes. that miniatures and combat tracking tools are a big part of the RPG. Right industry, because combat is expected.
3: Well, if you know the history of role-playing games, that's not very surprising. I mean, they grew out of war games. They didn't come out of improvisational theater. If they had, we'd have probably a very different experience.
2: I'll just say I've been looking at Fate Core recently They just came out, and one thing I like about it is that I think is interesting is the idea of social combat. When you are attacking someone, quote-unquote, you know, with your words or with ideas, mm-hmm. and it's just as effective as, you know, with guns. You deal social damage, and that actually comes through in the mechanics, and yeah. allow, they allow that. Yeah,
3: you know, actually, I went through that with the Duel of Witch system in uh, the Burning Wheel game I played under uh, O'Keefe and with Shannon at the last Fear of the con. That's got a social combat system, yeah. too. A very crunchy, formalized yeah.
1: one. And that is actually one of the things that the people in Extra Credits... Uh, mentioned is that uh, giving every enemy a persuaded bar right and instantly my mind went to fate core and the social stress track because i'm like that's exactly what this is and that's what i mean that it has a leg up on other mediums especially video games is because we're already started working towards that stuff we can engage our audience on a level that is personal to them because most media want to go out there they want to go out for the very primal things that will pull at you and there is very few things that are more primal than sex and violence Which is why they tend to be the two main selling points in all media out there. Because it'll get people to sit up and listen.
3: It's not necessarily a good thing, but it's very true. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. Fate's good at this. One of the games I always talk about, Unknown Armies, it has a chapter on combat. What's interesting about that chapter is it starts off with six ways to stop a fight. Nice. And these are all ways to take what's about to happen, this expected thing, and break the mold and do something better and smarter. And that's, I think, a valuable tool to have in our back pocket, both as GMs and as players, to say, okay, I know we're supposed to have a fight here. What if we didn't? Well, that also kind of goes back to
1: what we were talking about in the morals and what both me and Peter were discussing about putting nonviolence into a game even back there where I was saying about how, Uh, You get to the end of the dungeon, and I throw you a moral choice. And Peter describing how instead of getting to the end of the dungeon, he's going to describe the brutal murder of everyone you come across in gory detail so it's not fun anymore, Uh, which are two ways to subvert that. Now, they both can be handled in the wrong way and with the wrong group of people. Uh, No one size fits all. If I'm writing a story or a book or a movie or something like that, I have to write it so that it it attracts everyone in the audience. If I'm running a game for you guys, I just have to pull in three people, and I can talk to those three
2: people. Very true. Yeah.
3: I just want to throw in a quick side note here. Anybody kind of wanting to look into more of what Grant was touching on earlier with ways to de-escalate things, look up Use of Force Continuum and look into the works of Dave Grossman and Rory Miller. There are two guys that have written books about violence and combat and martial arts and how to scale things down or deal with violence in a socially appropriate
0: way. I don't want to overemphasize this point, but I think it's unfortunate, and it's something we've got to be mindful of, that angry violence is its embedded in role-playing games in a lot of ways. The raging barbarian archetype, mm-hmm. anybody who's played D&D or Pathfinder, I think we're all familiar with that. And it finds its way into other fantasy RPGs, too. GURPS has a Berserk
3: disadvantage, for instance.
1: The one thing I do want to say is, a lot of times I can't speak for everything from mechanics-wise because all mechanics are different. But speaking on three, five, and Pathfinder, which are two of the systems that I know the most about with the raging thing, yes, the rage mechanic boosts the barbarian uh, a little bit or a lot, but it also restricts him and has some penalties while he's doing it. What I think is a very interesting way to showing what giving in to rage can be. While we're discussing making games less rageful. One of the things that I could suggest is giving experience points for things that are non-combat. Uh, for the previous point about how there's a whole bunch of murder in role-playing games to begin with. So, just yeah. making sure that you don't have to kill someone to get experience from them, and making sure you say that to the player, it's just just beating this encounter, just talking the guy down will give you the experience
0: for it, right. because you beat the yeah. encounter. Yeah, and maybe more importantly, it'll still move the plot along. Yeah. you know, the, It's not going to stop the game you know, if you what, do the smarter thing. Along those lines...
3: If you're looking at this sort of thing and you're like, oh, okay, you know, that doesn't sound very exciting, and you have a Netflix subscription, (laughs) look up a TV show called Flashpoint and tell me that one of the series where they talk somebody down from hurting themselves or somebody else without any violence at all wasn't, like, nail-bitingly tense and very exciting.
1: I have seen Flashpoint. It absolutely was. Now, going on to the raging barbarian archetype, one of the ways that I've kind of thought about you could downplay the whole wrath is describing the rage mechanic of it as less someone who's giving themselves over into the rage and is more channeling it. They're releasing it in combat which is a quote unquote proper place for it um, especially if that's the way the character plays it and this, this really works because there's a couple very interesting things about the rage mechanic. Firstly, the player has to decide to use it. They don't just fly into a rage at random. The player has to go, well, my character is activating his rage now, which is not how actual anger works. Like, people don't- No, it's not.
3: No, it definitely is not.
1: Yeah, unless you're a sociopath going, I'm going to be angry now. Grr! Yeah. That makes it seem like it's less them losing control and them more just tapping into uh, primal adrenal things. And and they're they're psyching themselves up their body and they're getting themselves into a, a higher level of excitement than, you know, necessarily into anger. So it could be a little bit of a misnomer there.
3: Why, why is it justified for me
0: to use force in this particular... Well, or that, or basically just telling the GM, this is why this is motivating me. Speaking of characters who give
1: themselves over into uncontrolled anger, there is the over-the-top villains, which tend to yes, do this...
0: that is another archetype that we wanted to deal with. Yes. The cackling madman or the, you know, something like the Hulk. It's just this furious, destructive beast. I'm angry. I'm
2: going to hurt things. It also
1: ties into the revenge story because a lot of the times villains and stories and even heroes and stories are – out for revenge and they're they're seeking you know justice for something that happened your thing got broken by the bad guys yeah. or the good guys so you have sworn vengeance that's the classic definition of wrath right there yeah
0: well or here's a great example the second green goblin right oh, right right <laughs> you know he believes spider-man killed his father and he goes crazy and gives himself over to the anger that he has at that and is trying to kill spider-man and doing all sorts of collateral damage in the interim.
1: Uh, The first Green Goblin did that also. He was angry that they kicked him out of his company.
0: Yeah, exactly. How do I remember the second one better than the first one? That's embarrassing. (laughs) It was sooner. Yeah, that's it.
1: It was more specifically
3: directed at the protagonist, too. So Yeah,
0: that's that's probably what it was. But the first Green
1: Goblin is a great example of one of the dangers of Wrath. Is the fact that his Wrath was focused entirely in a different direction. And then because the hero came in there and the hero became the avatar for uh, something else, the Wrath got focused on him.
0: This uncontrolled collateral damage. How many times do you see some people... Plead insanity or, or say, you know, no, this was this was second-degree murder, not first-degree yeah. murder. I didn't plan it. I just, I was so angry I I shot him or I don't remember what happened. And then I look down and his blood's all yeah. over me.
3: You know, uh, there's a very telling thing from a book called What Cops Know that I read back when I was getting my criminal justice degree. It was a veteran Chicago homicide detective and he was like, yeah, most murders just happen with whatever's on hand. We get a lot of barbecue fork murders in the summer.
0: Hmm. My wife, when she was working, knew through some connection or other a guy who shot his brother because he was angry that he would spilled fried chicken in his truck. You know, stupid little things and people get angry and they lose control and all of a sudden something terrible has happened. As a villain... It's useful as a villain. And I, I certainly don't want to say, you know, no, no, your villain should never do this. Because I think having a villain who has a major
2: flaw like this is very useful. Well, and it's
3: one of the things that makes them villainous. I mean, it's...
2: Exactly. There's a dec- I think there's a delicate balance, too, because you have you have the idea of this guy who is always evil and has no redeeming factors at all and just completely one-sided. And that makes a really uninteresting villain. But then you have, you know, the guy who does these things, but he's got reasons behind why he's doing this, and it makes it a lot more interesting as far as NPCs are concerned.
0: Exactly. Or a guy like this makes a really good B-villain, because you have, you know, the the cold, calculating, evil villain, and then you have the guy who just can't control himself. Yes. they're They're a good contrast.
1: He can make a pretty great a villain. Also, as you mentioned, that this is a, some of the things that makes people villainous. That is uh, something referred to. I've heard it as the "kick the dog" moment. Someone does something really, really horrible to someone, uh, usually through one of the sins. Maybe they're greedy. Maybe they're uh, wrathful. Maybe they're slothful. And it makes it's mm-hmm. it's to show you this person is not good. I know you mentioned in the outline the fiancé from Titanic, and he was coded in the very beginning to be an abusive, controlling jerk, even before he he hit her. You could tell this guy was not a good person because of how they were writing him.
0: Yeah, you're clearly not supposed to
2: like him. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think in that case it was like just too heavy handed. I mean, he, he had nothing positive about him in the entire movie. Like there was nothing good at all. <laughs> I think it was like, I just thought in that particular case it was just going yeah, too I far. Yeah, he was
3: kind of snidely whiplash.
0: He was, yeah, he was yes, mustache he was. twirling <laughs> yeah.
1: evil.
2: Yeah. Yes, but bad
0: character writing aside, yeah, I think you're right. It's, it's a good way to say this guy is bad don't trust him. <laughs> True, but how many people in the world are
1: like that guy? They're just arrogant, conceited oh, sure. jerk. Like, Absolutely. So, like, and him not having a reason, that made him a little more believable. Of course, yes, he's he's a simple villain. He is not a complex, yeah. deep person. He's a jerk.
0: But, no. <laughs> but jerks make great bad guys. <laughs> they do. They do. And you're right. And I, I admit I have used not this in particular, but I have occasionally thrown out there, you know, hey, here's a NPC who you have to deal with, and he's not a villain, but you're not getting off on the right foot with him. You know, he's giving you some reason to distrust him, and then later on I reveal a little more about yeah. him. And I've used that before just to kind of say, Hey, here's some complexity to this guy. But
1: Hogmeiser in my game. He's a guy <laughs> who I introduced sitting in a bath with a whole bunch of ladies and everyone in my game instantly hated him.
2: Like Boss Hogmeister. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> I did put him in a white suit and a Cadillac. They did not get the reference. Uh, All right? that's a
0: shame. That's a shame. But I, I think Rage works particularly well for, like I said, B-villains or, you know, the number one henchman Because it's that kind, that mindlessness contrasts really nicely with the mastermind super Well,
1: villain. it works really great for the dragon
0: basically. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Because the
1: dragon has to be the physical force, and what better physical force attribute to put it with than the guy who's angry, the guy who's going to hit you harder, the guy who's going to knock you into the ground, break your back, then bash your head in, just to be sure.
3: I'm going to apologize for this reference, but people will get it, and that's really sad, but Darth Maul to Darth Sidious, from the, the prequel Star Wars movies that we all wish weren't
0: made. Yeah, you're right. It's, you know, here's a, a physical force versus here's the
2: manipulator. Right. And the thing about anger
3: that Vader. works well. Vader was way too
2: calculating. I agree. And, and, and probably one of the best villains of any medium of all time.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: True, but he he was the guy who, who when you pissed him off, he
2: choked you to death.
1: <laughs> that's a good point you're right
3: or you know when you failed him without even touching you half of the time
2: and then you moved up very quickly in the empire exactly without
1: being he didn't have to touch you he didn't have to be in the same room as you he could just be looking at you through a comm channel and go yeah you did
2: <laughs> yeah
0: um, but you know one of the things about anger and I think everybody is aware of this but it's worth pointing out when you're really angry sometimes you don't feel pain and you can't hold <laughs> back so it works particularly well as a trade for brutish henchmen. You know, it's it's a good way to say, okay, this is why this guy is so scary. He's just constantly angry. So, I think we've spent enough time on that. I do want to make sure we talk about Wrath out of game, because in some ways, I think this is...
3: Far more important.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And possibly one of the most important of the out-of-game sins we've talked about so far.
1: I will definitely agree with that. I mean, Wrath in-game, as we've said, it exists. People have told great games with very wrathful characters, even told games with good moral lessons with really wrathful characters. If you have Wrath outside of a game, that will destroy things. Absolutely. Yes.
3: Yes. No argument here.
1: Even
0: if it's a justified Wrath, it'll destroy what you have. We've all heard the expression, flip the table. Mm -hmm. How many times have we seen someone just rage quit? Someone just walks out. I'm guilty of it myself. You know, I was like, I'm losing. I'm frustrated. I'm losing. I just, you know, turn the chessboard over or whatever and just storm out. When I was a kid, I threw a punch at someone. I'm still embarrassed by that. I was 10 and I'm embarrassed by it still 20 years later. And the
1: rage quit isn't necessarily always the most horrible, horrible thing in the world. If you are getting frustrated with the game, if it's not going your way, and you are deciding I'm leaving rather than actually doing something violent. Bravo! Or yes.
3: screaming at somebody or something. If the best you can manage is just get up and like I have to leave now and walking out.
0: Yeah, yeah. I you should have dealt with it before then. Absolutely. But I'm very glad that you're just saying I got to step away. Mm-hmm. Don't talk to me right now. I'm too angry. I'll come back in a minute. I, I'd much rather you do that than start an actual fight. All right, but. That frustration and the anger that builds up, that's a bad thing, and it's something we need to avoid. I would say, not quite at all costs, but go a long way to try and avoid that, uh, because it will ruin Mm -hmm. not just games, but friendships. True.
1: Like, I'll be sitting there, I'll be frustrated with something about the game or about something else, and I'll be telling myself, be quiet, don't focus on that. Just because this frustrates you, it, everyone else is happy with it. Just, just keep on going.
3: Well, it depends on why it's frustrating you. If it's frustrating you because these people are they're they're doing things that you think are despicable around the table, I, I'll give you an example from my gaming past. There was one gaming group that I was in that just had this unfortunate tendency to pick somebody out as kind of the whipping boy and just mercilessly pick on that person, kind of in and out of the game. Right. The little brother in Mikey Mason's song, you know, best game ever, actually. It was very much like that a lot of the time. And I I think that it's okay to kind of be like, you know what? Not cool.
0: Yeah. And again, I mean, this is where we need to distinguish between a, a justifiable anger and...
3: And the sin of wrath, yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. This yeah, sinful wrath. And I, I do want to stress that we're talking about
2: a sin. And then again, I think we also don't want to bottle up that wrath as well because you get the same thing we talked about earlier where you mm-hmm. you know three sessions later you blast out everybody.
0: Yes or it just leaks out into bitterness all through the, the weeks of gaming. Absolutely.
3: And not necessarily even just at the game. I mean, it can come out at your family or at work. Or- oh, yeah. yeah. That's
2: even worse. Yeah,
1: I had that in one of the recent games, and it was because I had a whole bunch of other things that were really frustrating mm-hmm. me going on that just sort of compounded, and it just led to me being a little inappropriate in what I was doing. But I wisely did the solution of I sort of removed myself, probably mm-hmm. in not the most mature way possible. From uh, no. the the
0: session, but like, <laughs> listen, I've done it too. You know, I've gotten ticked off and just said, "We're gonna call mm-hmm. it, pack up stuff, and go home." I've walked, spent two weeks walking around, mm-hmm. just angry at the world for no obvious reason, and it just leaks out everywhere. Yeah, you know, you're just you're just a mm-hmm. worse person but for I,
1: it. And, and then there's been another time where I, I was in a game where uh, I had joined, and it didn't seem like the GM was making it easy for my character to integrate into the NPCs, like some of the PCs were perfectly fine with my character and I was getting along great, but the other NPCs that were along with those PCs were just kind of being a jerk to me. And so eventually when the GM withheld a reward from me, he's like, all right, so everyone gets this reward except for Brandon. And Mm -hmm. I asked if he was serious. And then when he said, yes, I just left. I'm like, this is not worth my time. This is not fun. I'm gone.
0: I'm not coming back.
2: So how do we deal with this, um, you know, with these situations?
0: To a certain degree, it depends on who you are at the table. First of all, are you the person getting angry, or are you someone else?
3: Actually, I think there's three people here. There's the person getting angry, the person that the angry person is angry at, and a bystander.
0: Right. Okay, you're right. That's true. And then we also have the, the role at the table itself, because I think in some ways the GM can deal with it in certain ways where players can't, especially if it's something in the game that's frustrating someone, but let's talk about the first three roles there first. If you're the person getting angry and you see that, all I can say is it's kind of your responsibility as a Christian to say, I've got to let that go. And it's hard, especially when you're in the moment, especially when, as as we said very early on, when it's so tempting to indulge in that
2: anger. Yeah, I think you just have to... You just got to let it go. You have to let it go, but also bring it up later. You know, cool down, give yourself 24 hours, and then maybe give the guy a call or an email the next day and say, hey, you know, what you did here really bothered me. Yeah. We need to talk about this and deal with the situation. and, And
3: don't make it less than that, by the way. Sleeping on it flushes a lot of those anger hormones and stuff out of your system, and when you wake up, you are actually more rational than when you went to bed. Well...
1: That all depends on your personal connection with this person. Let's say this is a a stranger. It's an online game or something like that. And so you are going to see this person again. And if they frustrate you, going to that person and go, you know, you really hurt my feelings might be kind of inappropriate. And it might just be better to just go, look, you go do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. And we're just not going to do this thing together because it's not working. Like if it's Mm. a friend, if it's someone that you care about and you're going to have to see and that you have like an established relationship with... You need to talk to them. You need to call them. You need to try to get this out there because uh, that can that can really, really make you feel better. I know from personal experiences, recent personal experiences, just talking to someone can really make you feel better about all the anger and
0: frustration that you're feeling. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of times you'll find that what you were getting angry about, it's kind of just a laughably small thing. Yeah. And you'll end up just sort of going, oh, well.
2: That or a misunderstanding it. altogether. Yeah. yeah.
1: But if it's like the fact that the clerk at the store bagged your groceries wrong. You don't need to go to that clerk and go, look, so what you did there. uh, Okay, first of all,
3: let me throw this in as a PSA. Never be nasty to retail employees. Their lives are hard (laughs) enough.
1: Yeah. At that point, he's like, that guy frustrated you. He's nothing in your life. Just ignore it and go on. You don't have to seek down out everyone who frustrated you. You just have to go, okay, I'm just not going to associate with you anymore. Or maybe I'll go to that store and maybe you'll be there and I'll just let it go.
3: Okay, so if you're on the receiving end of somebody's angry outburst at the table, first of all, I think it's incumbent upon us, unless the person got mad in a, over you doing something right, which is going to be such an edge case it's not even really worth discussing, I, I think stop and do a little bit of, as quickly as you can, self-examination and find the germ of truth in this person's frustration because... Most people don't have such short fuses, some do, but most of them don't have such short fuses that it will progress to this point without you actually doing something that was a little bit bad. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, or you've exacerbated it a couple of times, and now they're they're angry, and they're letting you know, and you kind of look at it and go, what did I do? I mean, Peter, Mike, you're married to, I, I think we've all had the... Okay, what did I do? Yeah. Conversation. (laughs)
3: Yes. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yes. I have a
1: girlfriend and I've had the what did I do conversation. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Whatever it was, I'm sorry. Now, please let me know what it was so I can be more specific in my (laughs) sorry.
0: And sometimes just saying, okay, what did I miss helps a lot because it lets someone know, okay, I didn't think I was doing something wrong. Clearly, I am. I want to be
2: corrected. Yes. Be humble about it. Put the blame on yourself. Not blame necessarily, but you know. Take the responsibility for it. Yes, exactly.
0: I like that wording a whole lot better than put the blame on yourself. Yeah, take responsibility for it if you screwed up. Yeah. And sometimes it may help to just step away and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I'm getting you angry. I'm going to go get a drink real quick, and then, you know, we'll talk about it. It's sort of the same thing as removing yourself, except you're removing the object of the anger instead of the subject.
1: And by drink, we mean non-alcoholic, because... If you're angry and well, you're getting an alcoholic drink, then
0: that could cause more problems. Uh, okay, that's true. The third role here is, you know, somebody who's in between someone getting angry at someone else. Suggest that you take a break. Just defuse the situation. All right, guys, let's let's take five for a second. If you have a relationship with whoever it is that's getting angry, take them aside and say, all right, calm down for a second. You're, you're getting worked up over something that's really pretty small. And let's be honest, this is a role-playing game. It's something we do for fun. Yes. It should be small.
1: Doing online role-play in text-based things. People have come to disagreements in in role-plays, and I've said, well, it's not a problem. You go your way, you do your thing. I go my way, I do my thing. And that's how we tell the stories of our characters. We both exist separate from each other, and we just each have fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not a case where, you know, I didn't get a promotion and you did, or something like that. Mm -hmm. This is a role-playing game. We can work out the story in a way that should be satisfactory to both, in almost all cases. I think maybe most important in all of this, though, try not to get other people angry in the first place. I know it's it's tempting, and I use tempting very specifically, to provoke people sometimes when we're in a particularly bad mood, or take that perverse pleasure in getting other people worked up. That's not at all a Christian thing to do. <laughs> You will set a better example and have a less mm-hmm. complicated
3: life. For her.
0: Yes. We could do a whole podcast on a episode, at least, on table how to stuff. Not provoke others and proper table etiquette. And and perhaps we should. Well, we sort of have through this whole series, but you're there to have fun. Grant,
1: there is one final thing that I want to hit on before we get out of here, and that is the last okay. form of wrath at the table, which is sort of at the table and in the game at once, mm-hmm. which is... Players attacking other players.
3: PvP. Character on character combat.
1: Yes. If you have a problem where, you know, a player has literally attacked another actual player, that is a job for the police. That is time to call the police. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <that> is- <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: Or, all right. You go sit in that room. You go sit in that room. Seriously, you guys I'm are calling 30 your years old. i wife and why are your mother. This? I'm very yeah.
3: disappointed in both of yeah. you. <laughs>
1: You you have you have failed the, to stop the wrath at that point.
0: You know, right? But you're talking about that point that I think we're all unfortunately familiar with, where the characters become proxies mm-hmm. for that. Yeah,
3: Joe takes the yeah. last slice of pizza, and all of a sudden, his character is getting attacked by Bob's yeah. barbarian, and there's no in-game rationale for it.
1: Yeah, or even it's something in character. Like you've done something to anger my paladin, and so I must smite you. Or or you've done something to anger my rogue, so I have to slit your throat.
2: Yeah, I have a good story about this, too. In a Star Wars game I was playing one time, mm-hmm. we basically had um, one character who essentially just had a different opinion of the world than everyone else. And he had a great solution. Uh, we I was a GM at the game. We talked about it. And he became an NPC. He could not fit in with that party, so he rolled up a new character and... There you go, character problem solved. He's not in control of the character anymore. Uh, He's an NPC in the world, and he'll be revisited. Make a new character that goes along with the rest of the party.
1: (laughs) That's a great idea. Um, I only wanted to bring this up because this is a topic that was actually brought up in one of my last games because we're introducing a new character who is a paladin. And one of my players was like, oh no, we're going to have so many problems. And so the character was afraid that we were going to have this huge fight. And so I laid out that in my rules, was like, look, if these two people want to have a fight and they want to do it as a normal like mature way where both characters come into it. We're just going to have a duel just to figure out who wins and then it will be over. And if both people agree that it's over, I will let that roll. If I think that they can both be mature. Also, if, if people go, I'm perfectly fine with someone stabbing my character in the face and killing him. If it's in service to the story, because I know there are people out there who are perfectly fine with, yeah, It works perfectly good that your character would attack my character and my character would attack your character.
0: Yeah, right. Honestly, I'm one of those people. If the story naturally leads to that and it's not just, uh, perp derp, I wanted to be kind of an awful person Mm -hmm. today. Yeah, you know what? Do it. It will be interesting. I have no problem with my characters dying if they die in the
1: right moment. That's what you have to do is if you have two people who are in an argument and that argument looks like it's going to come to blows in the game, then what you have to, what I would suggest is stopping the game and going to the metagame and turning to different people and go, look, if you two fight each other and kill each other, are you both going to be cool with it?
3: Well, and also sit down and be like, okay, you guys have free will, you can do this, but here's what some of the potential consequences might be. Since you're kind of, you know, co-authors in this, just keep that in mind before yeah. you make your final decision yeah. here. And I think
0: it's important to... To stop the game there, like mm-hmm. you said, Brandon, and talk it out because you want to make sure that it is the characters who are disagreeing and getting angry right. at each other and building up to this and not the players getting too into it. If you stop and say, okay, are we cool with this? And everybody sits back and grins like, oh, yeah, no, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah. You're in good shape. Yeah, the rogue, if it, it,
1: the rogue and the paladin have been at each other's throats. This is just going to be a
0: glorious explosion
1: of awesome and we're going to remember this game. <laughs>
0: like, you're in good shape. Yeah. If there's real tension building up at the table, Mm -hmm. well, then maybe, you know, okay, guys, step away for a second. You know, we do all the other things we just talked about. Right. I think you're right. Well,
1: like I said, it's like, if there's no tension, there's no problem. But if there is tension, my advice would be that the person who is not willing to have it out and let their character die in the fight, the person who isn't willing to back down needs to lose. Because they can't say, well, no, I'm going to force my point on this other person, and if they don't do it, I'm going to kill him. I'll be like, no, look, your character needs to back down. You can... Say it however you want and justify it however you want in the role play, but we're having a problem here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think the person who's not willing to accept the consequences needs to take the brunt of that. that there's, there's some validity to that. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've been going for about an hour and a half. Yeah, so. I think this is a good place to wrap it. But this was good. Yeah. I think we got a lot in. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to hear comments from other people because I suspect this in particular, Wrath in particular, there's a lot of people who have seen that at their table.
3: Yeah, our Google right. Plus community is probably a good place to, to hear.
0: Oh, yeah. Google yeah. Plus community, our Facebook page, all the rest. I mean, I, I just... I want to hear how other people have handled this in particular because I'm trying to step into the GMing role and I want have to have some of those under my belt and kind of know what to expect. Yeah, but this was good. And, uh, Mike, it's... Great having you yeah, on the show. Great pleasure th- having you on, Mike. Thanks for having me.
1: It is now a tradition well, to introduce people during the Virtues and Vices. <laughs> yes,
0: that's true. <laughs> so we need to save up some of them, I guess, in case we have to add someone else. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you all for listening, and thanks you guys for spending an hour and a half talking about this, because I think we got a lot done. Yeah, I think we got a good episode out of this one. Awesome. Good night, everybody. From all of us here at Saving the Game, good night. Good night. See ya. This has been a production of Saving the Game, copyright 2013. This podcast may be redistributed under a Creative Commons non-commercial, non-derivative license, provided that credit is given to savingthegamepodcast.org. Our music is by Ryan Humphrey. For past episodes, podcast news from our hosts, or to connect with us, visit our website at savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, and happy gaming.